Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes, Caught Offside. Suburbs of New York City, an apartment in Brooklyn, New York, on a beautiful Labor Day in the Northeast. Happy Rosh Hashanah to everyone celebrating as well. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney, a U.S. Men's National Team World Cup qualifier reaction pod. What's up, brother? Oh, Andrew, the... The summer is hard to define because September can be absolutely beautiful, but there's a chill, cold wind blowing down the back of the neck of old Triple G, and the summer is most definitely in the rear view for the U.S. men's national team coach. Boy, it really is, isn't it? All those good feelings. uh, I mean, is it an overreaction to say they're gone? I mean, the U.S. haven't lost a game yet in qualifying, but but none of that, I mean... Look, those will always be nice memories, of course, yeah. those those wins over Mexico over the summer. Great memories, but, I mean, they don't mean bleep now. No, they're gone. And the reaction last night in Nashville, the full-time whistle went, and there was a series of boos. Yeah. Although that is about the only thing that the supporters in Nashville, Nashville seem to have got right last night was booing because they booed throughout. It didn't matter who it was. Alfonso Davies, boo. Uh, Larea, boo, in, in, in that case, probably correct. The uh, Canadian goalkeeper, boo. Booing was there, was one thing they got completely right. However, they had some kind of a, a brain melt at 1 1. About 10 minutes after 1 1, they all start showing, holding aloft their uh, cell phones. Um, mistakenly, uh, they thought they were at a Coldplay concert. And I know it is Music City, but what the F are you doing? Seriously, what are you doing? That is. It's about one of the worst things I've ever seen. Oh, my. All right. Calm down. From a non-violent standpoint, obviously, there's worse things that you can do in a stadium. But I'm like, what are you doing? This is the time to absolutely roar your lungs out and and kind of G this team up. And instead, you think it's an encore from Coldplay. Um, Yeah, I'll be honest. In the moment, uh, because I was I was really wrapped up in the game. I I do remember that happening. I think they commented on it or something um, where the fans had their lights on, on their phones. Uh, I didn't really think much of it. Hearing you talk about it now, you're, you're right. It was, that is odd. That is odd. Like they should have probably just, they, you're right. Like in a premier league game, they'd be roaring them on at that point. And like, you become all this, but but this is all silliness. I mean, it is silliness. We'll get to the game in a second though. One of your favorite accounts, MLS buzz tweeted this, Corny ass DJs, overpriced tickets, cringe forced light show with 10 minutes left in a 1-1 game and fireworks at the end after a trash draw. U.S. soccer doesn't know WTF what they're doing. Now, honestly, like some of it, we need to knock it off. I'm not being a, a Euro snob, which you get accused of anyway. It doesn't matter what you say. Once well, you, you are being that. It doesn't mean you're wrong. I agree. Actually, with, I agree. I'm, certainly I'm, agree I'm with what you're I, saying, but you're yeah, very snobbish, but continue. Shut up. You I'll come over and slap you. Listen to me. Uh, what I'm what I'm saying is I'm not asking us like to go chugging beers at opposition players or, you know, foul language from the stands or anything like that. But can we try and create an atmosphere that's difficult for a team to play in? Can we do that? Not asking for bags of urine, not asking for batteries, nothing like that. But can we be aggressive? Can we be um, partisan? You know, get it right. 
and, and well, that's that, and that just doesn't come from the supporters. That comes from the tenor that's said in the stand by officials as well. Knock the fireworks off, all right? Knock them off. Second round qualifying game. Fireworks. Give me strength. I mean, look, the atmosphere, I, I did think it was a good atmosphere. I don't want to paint it with a, a negative brush because of what happened with a no, light show. In the every I mean, their USA chants were strong. I, I don't know. It's I didn't I guess I didn't think a ton of it. I, I, I guess I'm at a point now with U.S. soccer when it comes to um, the crowd where any game in the U.S. where it is a, at least a home field advantage uh, to me, that's a win. And last night, yeah. that was yeah, certainly the case. So yeah, I, I that's know. where the bar is kind of at. Uh, I, I, I should at, probably cool, cool my jets because usually it's where you will not be welcome in Nashville. And that's a shame because it's a fantastic city. No interest in going there. No you interest. are incorrect. It was great. I've been there. It was awesome. I'll go to Austin to South by Southwest first. That's more my speed. Direct all anyway. mail at JJ Devaney. <laughs> Can we talk about the game? I would love to. I mean, my God in heaven. Uh, before we talk about the game, though, there's something that kind of had to do with the game that didn't necessarily take place within the 90 minutes, which I think deserves addressing first. And that is the situation pertaining to Weston McKinney. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, I still don't know exactly what he did other than breaking some kind of COVID protocol for the U.S. And I'm not saying that the U.S. lost this game or they didn't lose. I'm not saying they didn't win this, not win this game because he wasn't there. Um but they might have. He's one of the best players on the team. He's supposed to be a leader on this team. And this is now becoming a bit of a troubling trend with a guy who was supposed to be your leader. And I'm sure he's an, you know, by all accounts, he's an awesome guy. Seems like he's very well liked in that room. But, yeah. you know, we're, we're what, a month removed, if that, from him being reprimanded at Juventus for going to a party and breaking COVID protocol mm. at his club. Now, in this, this tiny window that we've been waiting essentially years for to get back into World Cup qualifying with this new generation of players and the leader or one of the leaders of this team goes and does this. And again, I don't know what it was, but like whatever it was, it was bad enough to a point where they felt like they had to suspend him for a game at home against Canada in World Cup qualifying. So it wasn't nothing. Like someone has to talk to this guy. This is beyond unacceptable at this point for one of your leaders to be behaving this way. So again, maybe it was a small thing, but like whatever it is, it's, it's too much. It's too much. They So it's, but Andrew, can't continue. It it wasn't that small that, you know, a number of players fell into this trap. Nobody else did it. One guy. Right. So that's, that's the point for me. Um, And there was a debate on, on, on Twitter last night over pro over COVID protocols, over these kind of what some people see as a, a, a tremendous, inconveniences and and look we're all tired of them but if you're just look at it in the context of a soccer team an international soccer team playing an important game you can't not abide by them you that's have the thing. to that's the you thing just this, is not, this is not a debate about whether or not the rules are silly no. the covid protocols no, no, that are in place are silly we're not having that debate some no, people will not. think they are some will think they aren't it's not about that they are what they are all right, right? This is a week and a half, essentially, where you just have got to follow them because these games are priceless. Understand that. Like, the U.S. hasn't been in a World Cup since 2014. We know all the dark recent history. You can't get this wrong. 
It's one thing to make a mistake on the field. Things like that happen, physical errors, things like that. But like breaking protocol with rules that are clearly listed out for you that everyone there knows and everyone else is paying attention to. You're the one of the three best players on the team. You yeah. can't, it cannot happen. It no. can't happen. And no, I'm very I, I, curious I, to see, if, is it bad enough where he's going to miss the next game on Wednesday? I, I haven't seen anything pertaining to that yet. We probably won't know until Wednesday rolls around. I doubt it. <laughs> After well, last night's performance, I doubt it that they'll find a way to make sure he's reinstated. Boy, that was just so discouraging when I saw that. Yeah, and, and also, again, I, I heard the other excuse. Well, you know, we were all 20 in early 20s and we all did stuff. Sure, but we all weren't representing our country. And usually when we all did stuff, we, we all did it. It was more than one of us was acting up or acting the fool. This was one guy. And again, for the second time, he needs to wise up. You know, it's, it's great to wear the shirt out there. It's great to get the adulation. It's great to be called a brilliant player. It's great to have the crowd singing your name. It's great to have little videos made about you, about how, you know, the way, like, think of all the videos that were made um, from his behavior in games. You know, his eyes at the referee. Dude, he's the awesome. I love you know, him. Like, we love his, him on this podcast. He's one like, of our favorite players. All that stuff with the attitude. But you're just shooting yourself in the foot if you can't follow a basic uh, which clearly is a basic rule because everyone else could do it. It's it uh, was it, it, extremely it's disappointing. It, it, it's disheartening because you look at that midfield and you look at people who can win the ball back, make passes, possess the ball, and you're minus one there. And it's an area last night that we really struggled in again to get into the third and it's the final third of an opposition uh, and and keep the ball, keep the ball in midfield for sustained periods. And as Greg Bearhalter promised, what, two and a half years ago when he was appointed to, or two years ago to uh, disorientate the opposition through periods of possession. We haven't done it. We didn't do it last night. We can't afford not to have someone that can keep the ball in the team. So the best way, I guess, to go through this is to kind of just, in, in its simplest form, just roll through. If I just say, okay, the bad. Let's just roll through things that were bad. Then at the end, we'll end on a high note and we'll go through some of the things that we thought were good. Okay. In, in terms of the bad, um, a, a couple things stood out to me. You know, you bring up Triple G, uh, Greg Verhalter, and you talk about what he wants to do. Well, they're doing half of it. I mean, they 71% possession last night. So they are possessing the ball. The problem is what they're doing with it. Right. Now, I saw, I'm trying to remember who it was after the match. It might have been Greg Verhalter. Um, himself talking about what they didn't do right. And, you know, he's going to come under criticism today, but I actually thought he was correct in his analysis of it because they possessed the ball. And he said, we just did not move the ball quick enough. And correct. And to me, that was, that was the overriding problem. They had so much possession, but it was guys on the ball for too long. And, you know, at the start of the second half, Stu Holden pointed it out early on. They did the thing that I felt like they should have been trying to do way more throughout the course of the game, which was like Stu said, overloading the right side and then try to reverse field back the other way, uh, fullback to fullback or, or let John Brooks ping a pass to Anthony Robinson on the other side, mm -hmm. surging up field. Yeah. I, I think that was, it, it was always going to be difficult to beat a, a Canadian team that was going to play that way. Five yes. at the back, very low uh, defending deep. I mean, mm. all, every player talked about how difficult that was, but, did they, but do you really think they tried enough? You know, it, was there enough inventiveness? Were there enough new ideas throughout the course of the game to try to break through that? It just felt like it was guys who, you know, they were, they, they'd get the ball, didn't see an immediate pass, kind of a slow pass back. It was just like a lot of kind of middle third back and forth and just not enough going for it, quite frankly. 
Paul Carr, who is a statistical match day hero, 25% of the U.S. men's national team's passes were forward last night. Quarter of the passes were forward, compared to 44% in El Salvador and an average of 33% in 2021. So like Pulisic said and alluded to about creativity or about finding spaces to pass, Canada did. Herdman had Canada set up. Not spectacularly complicated, Andrew. Not really. Uh, a bank of five, a bank of four in front, and cr- just shut down spaces, look to play in transition. But they did it excellently, and they made it very tough for the U.S. Now, I, I will just um, talk to you about two points you brought up there, which, which is the bad. Um, the first thing I'll talk to you about is if you can't, if a lot of your passes are sideways, they're not going anywhere, and then you, you eventually give the ball up, which happened a lot of the time, what are your other ways of attacking? And also, I should mention, Christian Pulisic was targeted, marked out of the game, was too central for too often, was completely suffocated in this game. So he was nullified. So when you don't have that, what do you do? Look at the goal. How did the goal come about? The goal came about where the U.S. turn over the ball through Aronson. He continues his run. run. He, the ball slid out to Robinson, uh, coming around the outside, centers, Aronson slides home. That's a very similar chance to the chance in Sal Salvador when the U.S. uh, turned over in the same position. I think it was through Sargent and it broke into the box, but Conrad fluffed his lines. So what I'm saying is, Andrew, your midfield um, and your attackers have to, uh, like Jurgen Klopp says, when you don't have an an out and out number 10, the turnover becomes your number 10 to get at them. And we didn't really do that enough last night. But when we did, we scored. Mm-hmm. Now, back to the Pulisic thing. Um, and again, I do, it's important to, to praise Canada as well. Um, because Herdman, uh, this is Charles Bohm tweeting about it. Herdman on the US. We analyzed the media. We analyzed what was being said from the US camp, trying to understand the psychology coming into this game. A lot was said about needing to score goals. And so for us, it was, can we nullify these things? So I'm asking you to look at that U.S. team from last night. If Pulisic is nullified, which he was, through a combination of marking and fouling, where is the creativity? It's, it's not there. Not really. I mean, I, I would say that Aronson can provide creativity. Right. Um, but I'm talking, I'm talking, you know, dropping deep into the midfield. I suppose Aronson is that player. He is, and he proved it by turning the ball over and continuing his run. Yeah. But there wasn't enough of it last night. And that's the bad for me, Andrew. You know, we're, we're talking about the joy of the summer. And I think if, if anybody wants to go back and listen to our Nations League final recap podcast, because I'm going to park the Gold Cup for a second, because the Gold Cup wasn't our first team. Right. But let's talk about the Nations League final. And what did me and you say? We said it was brilliant to win. Control. Did we ever really have control of the game? Did we dominate the game? No, we didn't. We won in a certain fashion, in a certain way. And so that is the problem for me. I don't see enough of the kind of disorientation of opposition, the passing moves, the structured play and attack in the final third from Greg Berhalter at this point. And it's a regular thing. This isn't the first time we've talked about it. It's a regular thing. And you say you're going to park the gold cup because it wasn't our first team necessarily but it, it still applies 
The U.S. Right. won that tournament without ever really having dominated a game. No, that's true. You know, a lot of one nils. Uh, yeah. The the one was it against Canada where they scored in the first what like twenty five seconds and then kind of got outplayed the rest of the night. Could have been so, beaten by Qatar. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, it, it it makes you. Like, I'm not going to sit here and and suddenly change my entire thought process and and feelings about this team. I really do think that this U.S. team is is very good. There's yeah, a lot I of very too. good players on it. So I don't want to sit here and suddenly think that everything I've thought about this group for the last six months is wrong. Um, but there are there are clearly more questions and concerns than we might have thought coming into this. No, we'll stick with the bad because I want to get the bad out of the yeah, way before yeah, we talk. More. Before before we talk about the good, but you know, the XG was one six, six for the U S 1.52 for Canada. Canada had six shots. The U S had 11. We had 71% possession. They had 28.8% possession. Um, you know, it's not like Canada dominated this game or, or overwhelmed us, but going to the bad, there were a few moments in particular defensively that really let the side down and it could have been worse than, yeah than what it was i mean there are certainly ones that jump to mind obviously early in this game Sergio dest made a, a what could have proven to be a, a crucial mistake um trying to kind of settle a ball running right. back towards his own goal he fluffed it on of all people alfonso davies runs onto it and you think i mean at that point once once davies broke into space and dest was kind of out of the play i thought well that's one nil down <laughs> now, fortunately, Davies, I, I thought he would kind of make more of a run at goal and take it himself. Instead, Too tight he, an angle. Yeah, he went towards the end line, played it back to Kyle Lahren. By the way, also not a bad option. I mean, Lahren is an excellent center forward yep. playing for Besiktas in, in the Champions League. So, um, and they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't it was, finish it. But it in was terms a brilliant of, save by Turner. Yeah, although I think that ball was going wide anyway, but he doesn't know that. So he got well, an arm up and did what he had yeah. to do. Um, when we get to the good, I, I think we'll have more on Matt Turner. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was a lot of this game was Alfonso Davies running at American defenders and them not really being able to handle it. The goal that was conceded. I mean, you know, DeAndre Yedlin is just caught there. And I mean, how fast is Alfonso Davies that he can burn DeAndre Yedlin like that? Uh, so that yeah. was that was poor. That was discouraging. Yeah. And, and and look, let's not just single out Yedlin there. He caught he got caught wrong side, although I think if he's on the same side, but five, six yards dropped, knowing that Davies has that pace. Don't get sucked in so close because once yeah. he's gone by you, it's over. So if he's dropped maybe five or 10 yards, he's, he probably does better, but he didn't. And so Davies burns him. And then he, it, let's be honest, Andrew, what's Brooks doing? I was wondering that too. I mean, obviously Yedlin is going to be the guy who comes under the crosshairs for what happened on that because, you know, it all starts with that move from Davies, but yeah, in terms of covering behind Matt Turner on the cross, it feels like John Brooks just kind of stops. And he doesn't, uh, like one of our listeners pointed out, he, it's not like um, Laren sneaks in behind the defender at the back post. He's in full view of Miles Robinson, who is just too far off him. And Brooks is closest to him. Brooks has to try and get across there. Now, there's a danger that you play the ball into your own net. It is a perfectly weighted pass to the center, but it's not a hard one. Um, just defensively bad. And And let's not pretend like this was the only time we saw some bad stuff from John Brooks. He stepped into the middle of the park, plays a terrible pass in the first half down the right-hand side, and straight away the ball's in behind. And I, I can't remember, was it Larea or Laren who shoots straight at Matt Turner? It was the first shot on target. Laren. Laren it was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
not good, not good at all. And then, I mean, Tejon Buchanan coming on, I was like, oh God, guys. Jonathan, Jonathan David da- too. Yeah. Jonathan David. I, I was like, this isn't. And again, it happens down the right. He skips past the defender and who comes barreling out of the center. I never, if I'm coaching this guy, unless it's absolutely necessary, I never want to see Brooks coming out of the width of the, of the 18 yard uh, into that channel. And he gets skinned by Buchanan. Buchanan's in and should make more of it. In fact, towards the end of that game, it felt as if there was more Canada chances to go and win the game than there was U.S. chances. I know Miles Robinson. Definitely. Had, yeah. It's no, my, no, it felt like it, it was objectively. It felt yeah. like Canada were on the front foot to end that game. There's a lot of balls. Buchanan nearly drew a penalty on Tyler Adams. Oh, man. I was so happy there was no VAR there. I think. Well, he was outside of the box. I don't think. Yeah. The contact was initiated there outside the box, but there wasn't even a free kick given, was there? No. (laughs) CONCACAF. That's another thing. Can I I have to bring this up? So, like I told you, this is my second uh, World Cup qualifying cycle that I've really paid attention to and and watched. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I spoke about Herdman, uh, the Canadian coach, discussing how to nullify the U.S. You cannot tell me that Herdman is watching uh, the U.S. He's strategizing for the U.S. And he isn't telling um, who was the Johnston and Larea. Both of them should have been sent off for a yellow card accumulations. Johnston didn't pick up a yellow card in the game. How is this possible? Uh, Kay and Larea were the only ones that picked up yellow cards for the Canadians. Baffling to me for some of the tackles that went in. But Herdman is playing a game of percentages here. The kind of tackle that's allowed or foul that's allowed and just, you know, okay, in the case of the US goal, it was good that advantage was given. Um, but honestly, I don't know if that ref even, even thought it was a foul. You know, I would foul, Herdman has told them to foul Pulisic. Definitely. How many times did you see Pulisic get hacked in this game? I mean, he was fouled five times. But he was hacked more than five times. 100%, Andrew. Yeah. And so, you know, that was, uh, that was something that just stood out to me in the game, watching it. I'm like, if this is UEFA, you know, someone is walking here for an accumulation, you know, for persistent fouling, two yellows. Incredible. Yeah. Um, I guess in terms of bad, more of an overarching bad is just, I guess now I'm starting to think more about just how young this team is. Um, maybe... I, I wonder a little bit if I had blinders to their youth because of what their club experience was, because a lot of these guys are playing meaningful minutes for, for huge teams around Europe. Um, I guess maybe I thought when it came to the qualifying cycle, the, their youth, their young ages wouldn't necessarily matter quite so much, but I wonder now, you know, it, because they haven't been through this before, if there is a little bit of learning on the fly with how to handle the pressure of these games, um, how not to, you know, succumb to, I don't mean to say the pressure, but like, I wonder if they, if you get in your head a little bit, you start pressing a little bit more, you know, you try a little bit harder to pick out a pass and, you know, you're thinking, you're overthinking things. And, uh, you know, I just wonder if, if these guys are going to have to settle in, if it's going to take them, you know, through halfway through qualifying before they, really feel comfortable with kind of the way these games are played. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that one, Andrew. That sounds like, uh, you know, these are players who are playing at the top level. We know now that your peak starts earlier as a player, uh, more and more younger players getting chances for their clubs. I don't, I don't think it's an experience issue. I, you could argue that it's a, 
it's a team cohesion issue. That's the experience that they don't have uh, playing together as a unit, but I'm not sure about that. Um, the other issue, while we're still on the bad, is Bearhalter substitutions, which well, didn't happen until the 83rd minute. I was going to say lack of them. Yeah. Um, this well, is he did he have to... one, he had one that he was forced into earlier when right. Dest had to come off for Dest Yedlin. came off for Yedlin. Um, I can this is Bearhalter speaking. I can understand what it looks like. We should have acted quicker, hundred percent. In this situation, we're looking at the performance of the guys and trying to figure out who we're going to take off the field. Which I mean, isn't that that's not a great answer? That's essentially the thought process for substitutions. Um, I think changes needed to be made needed to be made quicker um yeah not good not good so he's and owning that he appears to be uh, i'm trying to decode i can understand that it looks like we should have acted quicker 100 percent. so he's saying i can understand that idea in this situation we're looking at the performance of the guys and trying to figure out who we're going to take off the field i don't understand why that evaluation would take 15 to 20 minutes i don't either uh, I don't either. I would have liked maybe Sargent to have been on earlier. It just felt like they needed something different in attack. I would say, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I would say P. Fox, uh, who I thought had a decent game considering. He was he pretty did... quiet. Yeah, I but he, had he was that pretty chance quiet. Where he had that shot across the goal in the first half where he rolled the defender. He showed a lot of strength. But Andrew. Can you honestly say there was a ton of really good quality ball going into his feet or any or anything like that? Again, another thing about CONCACAF, these games are manic. They're like League Two games, but with better players. Like the ball but, is whizzing around. It's like the surface was both slick and quick, but also treacherous. Um, the ball was moving really, really quickly. There was tackles flying everywhere. It was hard to see a kind of a, a pattern uh, in, in these games. Um, yeah, maybe PFOC, maybe PFOC. I mean, the only sooner. reason I say that is because, you know, and look, we've, we've talked a lot about Josh Sargent and how as much as we like him, we we wish we would see more from him at times. But this just mm. felt like a game where maybe his skill set was the right one. Like we talk about how he's he's also a very creative player. You know, he's a good passer. He can hold the ball up like maybe he could have done some of those things to bring other players into the attack. Sure. Uh, in a way that maybe PFOC wasn't. Um, I don't know. It, it was never going, like I said before, it was never going to be a cinch to break through this Canada defense. No. Um, Can but, I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, like we brought Conrad De La Fuente on it and that's a kind of a skillful attacking player, Josh Sargent, Roldan less so, but, but a good player too. Um, like you're not giving them enough time to grow into the game in the 83rd. You know? You're just not. It's it's seven minutes plus what three added on. It's mm -hmm. ten minutes. It's it's not enough. Um, and also outside of De La Fuente, Sergeant, I mean, the next most creative player that was on the bench that you could bring in to change something around was Ricardo Pepe, and I understand why he's holding back a little bit on him. But uh, like, it's a big thing for me when Pulisic was was kind of snuffed out. You know, he started strongly. I remember the first free kick he won was off Johnston for an early surge after two minutes. But once he's not finding that space, and once you can't move him around into a position where he can get the ball, this team creatively struggles. And um, I, maybe we could have done a bit more coordinated. I mean, we do press anyway. I know we do that, but we didn't get enough turnovers, create enough chances. 
The no, goal I mean, was go. Yeah. Not having McKinney hurt, not having Gio Reyna hurt. Uh, I think so. You know, think and so. Serginio Dest is an interesting one because defensively he, 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 quite frankly, he frightens me at times. He's, you know, we talked about the Alfonso Davies moment from early in this match, but what the U S needed in this game was a more pointed attack. And he, yeah. he was a part of a lot of that in the first half, you know, blowing by players, um, making things happen down the right side. So, you know, losing him at halftime while maybe at times you wonder if it helps defensively, although his replacement Yedlin didn't really do the job against Davies either. Um, but you know, you wonder if you lost something in attack, certainly when, when Serginio Dest went out of that game and now you wonder, Oh, so who are, who are the U S going to be without not to, I don't want to look too far ahead just yet, but look at the Honduras game, which now it, it's hard for me to say that game three of 14 is a must win, but if it feels like that, Fair uh, or not, it, it has that feeling right now. Who's the who are the U.S. not going to have in that game? You know, pr- possibly Reyna, possibly Dest. Uh, I don't. Pulisic played ninety in this one, so I, I'm I guess I'm going to have to assume that that means he's he's a full go. He's totally good, and and the U.S. will have him for that one. We don't Reyna's know West, probably, we don't know McKinney's status. We can uh, probably so, forget about Reyna if it's a hamstring, right? Right. I, I assume he's not going to play. Um, so you know, it's. We always said depth was going to be so important for this team. And to a certain extent, that has bore itself out already. You know, like Brendan Aronson has already come in and done well, scored the goal in this game. Miles Robinson, the whole point of the Gold Cup, other than winning it, was to establish who else could play and and do a job for World Cup qualifying. And Miles Robinson has come in, started both these games and done well. Um, You know, so like that's already showing its importance, but they're going to start testing the limits of it a little bit between injuries and suspensions and silliness like that. So this is, you know, it's, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit nervy, much more so than I thought I would be feeling after just two games. Andrew, we've got a massive game in Honduras on Wednesday night. Of course we'll be covering it because, um, you know, it kicks off at a very reasonable time of a quarter past 12 midnight or where I'm kidding. It's 10 30. Um, we need to do some positives here. Seriously, come on. Let's get some positives. I, can I start? Sure. Tyler Adams. I thought he was outstanding. The ground he covered, the amount of fires he put out. Uh, I, in my notes, I have so many moments where he's run back, tracked Davies, tracked someone else, uh, stayed doggedly with them, won the ball back, and set us off in the opposite direction up the field. Uh, it was an old-school midfielder's type performance. Um, absolute leader I, I thought he was really really good now of course because nothing can be nice everything must be tarnished the shoulder yes. on the breakaway move that was almost assuredly going to end up in a very good chance for the u.s uh, what's crazy to me is should he do it no would i have been shocked if the referee hadn't noticed and just played on but the linesman Absolutely. was always going to see that i think ah, the linesman. and it had to be called it had to be called yeah. So I'm glad. It's such look, a shame. If you I didn't bring he... it up, I was going to. And the only reason I didn't mention it in the bad is because like you, I thought Tyler Adams had a great game and, it, I, and I couldn't, excellent. I couldn't put him in the bad category for that bad moment, but you know, in need of a goal, like, mm. again, like just, it was a rush of blood to the head. Uh, I was it. He kind of lined it up in the replay. You can see no. him like Mark Anthony K kind of like, you don't know how long into... blood takes to rush to the head. <laughs> <laughs> but you like know, it wasn't it put it this way it wasn't instinctive and reactive no 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 he was lining it up as he yeah. ran he was he was going he knew to get what he it, was but, doing 
But I'm telling you, in the free-for-all world that CONCACAF has created in my football brain tank. I don't I care, am, JJ. Anyone, I immediately, you know you can't do that. I immediately saw that and thought, just a fair shoulder, game on, play on, forget about Stop. it. Stop. <laughs> I didn't but, think it was that bad. I really don't. But, but it yeah. had, but it was a foul. But it had, it had, it had to halt. The play. minute the Linos flag goes up, that's it, you know? Yes. And it was the right call. You can't argue yeah. it. It was absolutely the right call. And you're right. It spoiled what was clearly lining up to be a goal scoring opportunity. And the U.S. didn't have many of them. And that was late in the game and they needed it. Okay. So, you give me, you give me a positive then. I've given you one and you've just, well, no, like I, I said, I, would, I wouldn't put him in my bed because I thought he was too good where it, like it, it counteracted that moment. Uh, I, I referenced this a little bit before, but I, I just I feel so comfortable with Matt Turner and goal. And I was wondering um, how I would kind of be feeling once Zach Steffen went out. You know, we all said after the Gold Cup, you know, right now we've got three goalkeepers and we feel just as good about all three of them. But like, I don't know, there's something subliminal that just sort of is like in my head of Zach Steffen's the number one. Zach Steffen's the number one. Matt Turner is an, is playing an MLS. Sometimes MLS goalkeeping is, is like, it's just like a lot of subliminal thoughts that kind of yeah. seep in. And so once, like, once I knew that it was going to be Turner and Nett, there was part of me that was sort of like, okay, I know he's been great, but like, I just can't get out of this feeling of like, that's not our number one. I hope everything's okay. And I have been, if I had any doubt, that side of me has been proven wrong. And I feel so confident with that guy back there. There was one thing in particular. I, first off, I don't really blame him for the goal. I'll just get that out there straight away. Uh, I think that was defending what? in front of him. Well, what's he supposed to do? Like? Right, right. So I'm just, for anybody who was going to bring that up, I just wanted to put that out there. But there was one thing in particular. I know, JJ, you talk a lot about this. And I'm wondering if you picked this out as well. Of goalkeepers who oftentimes punch balls just to be, just to be sure when they probably could catch them. And I think it was on a corner kick for Canada. Like there was, there was one cross that was played mm. in near goal. Uh, and I, and Turner came and he caught it. And that yeah. did not sound like much, but it was one of those moments where when he did it, I thought any other goalkeeper I could think of probably punches that away. And like, who knows where that punch winds up? Maybe he mishits it. Maybe it leads to some kind of opportunity for Canada. Turner looked so comfortable catching it. Uh, and, you know, so what did I, he have four, he must've had four, Catches from crosses last night, corner yeah. kicks and crosses. And he looks very, like it just comes so easy to him. Mm. Um, and I just, I, I'm at a place now with him where I just feel entirely comfortable with him in net. Like I, I've just, that's a part of the, the field that I just don't really worry about. Uh, I totally agree with you. And the crossing and catching thing really stood out to me. Somewhere along the line in the 2000s, maybe with the change of balls, you know, the, the different structure of the ball, a lot of goalkeepers, even in England, which was a very much a catch orientated comfort, try and catch it first. Mm -hmm. the, the continent was always big for, for punching. But somewhere along the line, punching became en vogue and it became the thing a lot of keepers did because I think was, they just want to play it safe. They just want to make sure. Safe. Yeah. But it's, it was very, very refreshing to see him come with such confidence. And he didn't flap at any of them. He caught them all cleanly, totally on. You know, even if there was a challenge in front of him, which there was in one of them, he caught it just fine. Um, if I'm being, you know, slightly negative, there was one more. He has one kicking error or pass back error. Now, this one wasn't his fault per game so far for the U.S. in every game that I've watched since the summer. One. Uh, and it was Miles Robinson played him a bit short on one. I think it was in the second half. Uh, yeah, no, first half. And he shanked it out into the stand. Other than that, Andrew, 
he's the number one now. It's as simple as that for me. It really is. You can't have two goalkeepers who don't start regularly for their clubs usurp this guy. I don't care. I had the same reservations just in the back of my my head, the little kind of prejudice about him being at New England and playing in MLS. And even when I think of him, I think of Gillette Stadium, which is like probably one of the worst soccer venues we have in this country. That's not um, that's not there anymore for me. He's mm-hmm. the undisputed number one. Yeah. Um, other good. I mean, we talked about the U.S. goal, but it, it bears mentioning again that I thought the whole way that the, the whole build up to that goal, like you yeah. talked about with winning back it possession, excellent. it's just like it's just exactly the thing that you want this team to be doing. That's our ID. That's our DNA. That's our, uh, that's how we should be. And it's the, there's no reason for me why we can't do more of it. There's no reason, uh, but it happens far too sporadically. It's our best way of linking play against the low block Our linking play, creating chances against the low block team is to get turnovers in those difficult areas. Which game was it? I believe it was the nation's, uh, the CONCACAF gold cup final where we nearly opened the scoring uh, through um, who was it? I can't remember who it was, but Leggett turns the ball over. I, we pressure Mexico right there in front of their own goal. You know, this is a good way to play. This is a, a way that's worked in the Premier League for, for a lot of good managers and works in international football too. And we just don't seem to get enough of them. Yeah, um, you're right. And uh, it's something that I just wish they would do more of. And it seems like Greg Berhalter wants that as well. And you wonder, mm-hmm. okay, well then why is it why is it not happening more? Uh, also, in the first half, um, you know, we didn't talk much about the U.S.'s best opportunity when Christian Pulisic hit the post. Again, yeah. I, th- I thought the build-up to that was great as well. You know, John Brooks, for whatever flaws he might have had, whatever mistakes he might have made defensively, he's an excellent passer. And it's mm. again talking about winning back possession. Why don't we do it more? I sometimes wish John Brooks would ping in more balls to dangerous areas as well, because I think he, it's one of the strengths of his game. You know, he he pinged that one. In, I think it was to Legit who then got it out wide, um, and then it was the played jet across. was falling over it, and he did well to get it out of his seat. He really did, yeah. Um, and then he played it out wide. Was it Dest who was streaking down the right side and then it played it was, across? It might have been Dest. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh, well, whoever it was, and then Pulisic came in, and uh, him and either him or Pivak looks like they both could have gotten to it, but it was Pulisic who ran onto it and knocked it on the post. Yeah. Um, again, good buildup. It was uh, their, their best opportunity of the night, aside from the goal. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll give props uh yeah over i thought legit actually played well sometimes u.s fans uh have issues with him i think there's just a whole sometimes like nls subconscious bias that uh a lot of you and also he's beloved of greg he's beloved of greg who's not always the most popular guy that's part of it too you know tim ream legit they always get it those two guys (laughs) always get it um one thing i'll say and i know this is supposed to be the good section but i forgot it in my bad notes um so the Canadian goalkeeper clearly hurts himself early on and, and mouths to the physio, that was the Canadian physio that comes on. I felt something go. And his next kick is dreadful and the U.S. almost get a chance off it. And all night, I never felt, I was like, why aren't we pressuring him more when the ball goes back to him? He had just such a comfortable night and he was only made really go full stretch one more time. Uh, which was the deflected. Remember the cross that came in uh, from Aronson that was deflected by a Canadian defender and he had to, I mean, I think it was a bit of a camera save. I think it was fair, more comfortable than he made out, but he, he made a good save nonetheless. And you think, get, get at this guy, get shots on this guy because he's clearly not 100%. You don't say, I felt something go 
and then be absolutely fine after it. And I'd be curious if he plays in, in Canada's next game once that thing cools down. You know, it's a groin injury. And yet all night, we, we just never we never got at him. Can I ask you a question? More of like a tactical question. I, I generally trust you on those more than I trust myself. So I'm, I'm curious. So you mentioned the goalkeeper, you know, mm. whatever distress he might have been in throughout the course of that game. The fact that he finished the game uh, to me means whatever he had said, I felt something go. Maybe he's it wasn't as bad, clearly, as what he thought. But regardless, yeah. we didn't maybe we didn't I thought his kicking moment. was inhibited a bit, but then he didn't have much okay. kicking to do. So but so that combined with the, the style that Canada was playing, where they were very deep, they were very compact. It was going to be mm. hard to break through them. Do you get to a point? It may not be what the U.S. wants to do. It may not be necessarily what they're best suited to do when looking at the personnel out there. But do you get to a point where you just kind of start bombing, bombing in crosses or whipping in shots from 20 yards out? Like it's not those are not your high percentage shots. But if you're not finding a way through defensively, do you do you is that the next move or is that playing into Canada's hands? Is that what they want you to do? Yeah. And I Sometimes you just slip into that pattern of play and the quality is not good and it's total inertia. You're going nowhere. You're going absolutely nowhere. Um, Then other times, if you can, the ideal scenario there is, Andrew, is a few quick passes, great speed of play in front of the goal and then get a shot off. Try and move defenders a little bit, but just leathering balls and putting crosses in as a Republic of Ireland fan watching Ireland versus Azerbaijan in that second half, let me tell you, it's um, it's not good, and it it can often, you know, you might get Miles Robinson on the end of one, you might get Brooks on the end of one, uh, you might get Pfuck on the end of one, but I, you still. Well, I'll tell you what, they're lucky that I wasn't out there because I would have been blasting shots from thirty-five oh, yeah. out. That would have been the tactical thing. That would have been out of my like, way, everybody. Yeah, send it, send it, said Andy. No, you. You have the kernel of a point there, but it still Im- involves quick passing around the edge of the box, trying to move defenders, uh, 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 you know, around a little bit and then get a shot off. Um, but blasting it uh, a la Ronaldo in the first half against Ireland last week, where he was just looking, just wo- just absolutely walloping balls into defenders from 25 yards is, um, is frustrating and won't work generally. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any other uh, any other good on the night? Uh, you know anything on Christian Pulisic? He was. Um, I thought I thought Pulisic started strongly. I thought he faded a bit. I, again, I thought there was an incredible amount of attention paid to him. Um, and you you know that's 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 obvious. Um, I I don't have. I liked Aronson's performance, mm-hmm. um, but Andrew, it's. Um, it's yet again another podcast where we're pretty thin on on excitement in terms of the U.S. and and they haven't left us with much, much to get excited about, as um, I'm sure I'm sure is obvious to everybody. It's, well, the, uh, which leads to my last good here, which has nothing to do with the United States. Uh, we, ha- we have to say something about Canada. I think and we have. I think and we, we, have. And we have. You're right, but I, I want to make sure that we actually designate a point in right. the good section of this to mention Canada, because <laughs> they were also a part of this. And I think that this was, um, you know, I think they dictated a lot of the way this game went. Yeah. And look, the U S again, 71% possession uh, almost doubled Canada in shots. So, uh, you know, it was an even game and in the end, one, one is probably a fair result, but Canada had legitimately frightening opportunities oh, to win yes. this game. 
um, you know, both in both the first half and the second half. Alfonso Davies, like I, I love Christian Pulisic. He's he's an amazing player. I don't know that he's the best player in CONCACAF. I no. think that guy was wearing black last night and playing for Canada. And you um, hope he's you hope whatever knock he came off, it wasn't too serious. That's yeah. what you hope. Um, but look who came on. Jonathan David, Tejon Buchanan. That's a good team. That's a good team. And, you know, I, I, watch, watching it also, you sometimes wonder about um, MLS. And oftentimes we think that, you know, MLS and, and U.S. soccer, they really have nothing to do with one another. But we have this association where we we hope that having this good domestic league will will do wonders for our national team. Well, I'll tell you what, what is it they say, J.J.? High tide raises, raises all boats. Yeah. Well, it's right. Like, think, look at Canada. Like Alfonso Davies came through Vancouver. Um, mm. Jonathan David, Tejon Buchanan, like the, Jonathan Osorio. These are all MLS guys, like initially. Yeah. Uh, you know, some have moved on, you know, to, to Europe. But like this league has helped a lot of other nations in this part of the world as well. And that Canada first and foremost. So that's like this is not your your father's Canada. This is not your older brother's Canada. Like when when the U.S. you know having grown up here and watched a lot of World Cup qualifying, when you saw Canada on the schedule, you didn't think anything of it. That's over. That's a hard game now. If uh, if your brother's in his mid thirties, then say like thirty five, then it is your brother's Canada because they haven't been to a World Cup since eighty six. Eighty six. Yeah. I um I hundred percent agree with you, Andrew. And I, and I think. Again, I give Herdman credit. He, he was speaking again. These quotes are taken from Jars Bohm. And um, this to me is, is the words of a coach who knows what his team is, knows their strength. And they're like, they do the fall off from their best bunch of players. Andrew is pretty dramatic to the next crew, but there's a unity of purpose in the team. Like they know who they are and what they're trying to do. Mm. This is what Herdman said. We would call them micro performances periods in a game that we're going to focus intently on certain things and execute, execute, change, execute, execute, change. That's what these players were doing all game. Little subtle changes are going on. So when I say to you, they didn't even come close to dominate the whole game, but they had these moments in these pockets of play where they tore us apart. That's a hundred percent true. Now there's a flip side to that coin where, you know, one of their best chances in the first half, the, the uh, Laren Turner save, whatever, where Davies burns past Dest. Andrew, that is not some great piece of play. That's a welly up the field from the goalkeeper that is misjudged by Dest. You know, yeah. a lot of us was def- of our bad play was defensive, um, not def- not being defensively sound. You know, for as much credit as we give Canada, but I will go back to the Canada credit. I like Herdman a lot. Like I said, he's very clear about what this team can do. He didn't come to this game and say, we are going to go attack, attack, attack. But like he said, micromanaged, micro performances. When we have moments where we can inflict our play on them, we go and do it. And also they had a huge level of physicality in this game. Like I said, Larea and Johnston were out there. And if they were going to get sent off, so be it. It was unlikely with that referee, but so be it. And they physically manhandled the US at times. I thought, there was times when we looked very, very um, not naive, not the word, but just kind of shocked by the by the ferocity of what they did. And it unsettled us. And also it was like pinball at times out there. And that suited mm. Canada. We needed to get our foot in the ball and pass it. And we were minus one of our best passers or one of our most competent players in the middle of the park. And it showed 20 career goals for Canada now for Kyle Lahren, second most in Canadian history behind Dwayne De Rosario. Wow. They're a good team. Do you know They're a good Dwayne- team? 
Dwayne De Rosario turned up randomly. I, I guess it wasn't random. He was there for a reason in a, a pub that I go to that I've mentioned on this podcast before. Really? The Soccer Tavern in Brooklyn. Yeah, during, uh, I think it was four or five months ago. Just That's that's cool. Yeah, and he, Did people, had, were people recognizing him? Oh, was he... yeah, people had pictures with him behind the bar. Huh. And uh, the the um, the bar staff tweeted out uh, the picture of him. MLS and Canadian soccer legend Dwayne De Rosario pops oh. into Brooklyn. I don't know why he was there, but I'm I'm sorry I wasn't. Oh, that's pretty neat. Yeah. Um. So that's about all I have on this one. Uh. Again, this was we were very negative, rightfully so. I think that's oh. kind of the I think that's kind of the tenor and the tone of the fan base right now. But you know. Amidst of that, it, it is important to keep some perspective. It's two yeah. games. It's two games. They haven't lost either. I know Greg Berhalter pointed that out. And, you know, he said we're still unbeaten. I think a lot of people collectively and a nation rolled its eyes collectively as he was saying that because it doesn't feel like they're unbeaten right now. But they are two points uh, through two games is not what anybody wanted, not what anybody expected, but it is only two games. There's still 12 to play. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of points still left to be one. So um, I'm not freaking out. I don't think you are. I would hope our audience there's isn't no, either. There's no freak out. There's a lot of, there's a lot of negativity here. Um, well, they, they used, I think on the, the post game on Fox, they, I forget who it was that said it, but they talked about uh, PTSD from the last qualifying cycle settling back in. And it's like, I, I think people had hoped that a, a nice start here would a continue the momentum of a really great summer and B, immediately erase the memories and fears of what happened at the last cycle. And because of the way it started, it's allowed doubt to creep back in. And it's allowed us to forget about all the good that we had experienced uh, in the last couple of months. And, and that's unfortunate. But it does not mean that we're in trouble. Certainly not yet. Well, Richard Zappone asked the question. Uh, he said, first of all, I, I put out a tweet where I said, old patriotic Andy is away at the moment, but we will be back this afternoon to do the podcast, which we're doing right now. And Richard goes, Andy is away, question mark exclamation mark which i think is pretty rude and is an attack on you personally what why sec- what's what's an attack on that oh because for years i've made the joke that you're always on vacation which is i wasn't true. on vacation i was at a wedding you animal <laughs> joking so, but richard asked the question uh he goes i'm joking but honestly jj if we draw against honduras are we in trouble uh oh. no not yet not yet but like i lot- said like when you when you draw at el salvador that's a chance like I always talk about in, in World Cup qualifying, the importance of kind of having like the luxury points behind you that like that. So it builds in, it gives you that cushion where you can falter somewhere. And at this point, the U.S. is now behind in that. Like, yeah. you know, you would have liked you know, El Salvador away is tough, but this U.S. team is supposed to be good enough to go there and get three points. Canada at home is tough, but the U.S. went literally like, what, a couple decades with only one loss at home in world cup qualifying. Yeah. So yeah, Canada's tough, but at home, this U S team, you expect them to win. So they're behind the eight ball, certainly, but it's not, it's not panic time. I hope people need to keep some measure of, of perspective there. All right. Well, we have a lot of negativity on the timeline. I'm going to finish with something positive. Mm-hmm. Andrew still 12 games to play. Everyone is way too doom and gloom. Bearhalter definitely didn't, didn't get the tactics right tonight. McKenney a big miss also. Acosta didn't have his best game. Canada setup was really well organized, limited the US MT down the wings where Canada could double up. So look, there it is. Who said that? Is that somebody on Andrew? Andrew uh, Andrew oh. Affel. Oh, okay. When you said Andrew, I, I thought you were yeah, addressing me. Andrew. I thought you were addressing me. No. No, okay. I always address you, but um old Spursy Andy. I try to oh. give you your moniker beforehand. 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah, don't. Not that you go on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, hashtag someone tweeted us hashtag forgive Klinsman. Oh, gee. wow. All right. Well, I'll end on one positive then. Uh, go as ahead. Well. Uh, Brendan Aronson, JJ, the first player born in 2000 or later to score in a World Cup qualifying match for the U.S. Does that make you feel old? Uh, it makes me feel old. It makes me feel happy, though, because what's underpinning any and all optimism about this team is that we have a crop of young, talented players. Mm-hmm. Just got to figure a few things out. His interview after the game was was really interesting. He did not uh, sound happy with the way Canada oh, played. Oh, he, he sounded like a bitter old like veteran. You know, I hate the way um, I remember when Ireland drew nil nil in the Italian 90 World Cup against Egypt. Jack Charlton said the exact same things. And what, what age was Jack Charlton then in his 50s or 60s? And he said, I hate playing teams that just sit in and don't want to play football. That's effectively what Brendan Aronson said last night. Yeah. So um, I disagree with him, though. Canada didn't want to want to play the way you wanted them to play. Brendan, right. Right. But you'll get used to that. Mm hmm. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I don't have much, but we'll just wrap up with a couple uh, quick thoughts on a couple other things. Don't go anywhere. More caught offside still to come. Back now, winding it down, JJ, uh, don't have much. Just wanted to at least mention um, Brazil and Argentina. It was kind of the glamour fixture of these World Cup qualifiers of this international break, and it didn't happen for extremely bizarre uh, reasons. Yeah, um, basically just uh, as the as the game was the game is already underway, and uh, and Visa, the health authority in Brazil, uh, came out onto the field looking for players who had entered the country um, from the United Kingdom uh, from the Premier League who had not observed the quarantine that was required to uh, to enter Brazil. Um, this is from. Tim Vickery's piece in ESPN. Just as Brazil is on the UK's red list, the reverse is also true. Non-Brazilians who have been in the UK in the past 14 days need to go into quarantine. According to a statement from the Anvisa Health Authority, these four players did not declare to the local immigration authorities that they had been in the UK in the previous two weeks. It was clear on Saturday, the eve of the game, that there was going to be a problem. And Visa were aware of the presence of four Argentines who should have been in quarantine. Now, what I don't understand is why Invisa couldn't have figured this out before the game kicked off. Maybe they needed the actual proof of seeing those players on the field. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it was Christian Romero, G- Giovanni Lacelso, and the Villa Dua of uh, Emiliano Martinez and Emiliano Bunzia. Um, incredible. A really incredible state of affairs. Uh, it, it, look, again, it's not... <laughs> It's not about um, whether you agree with the protocols or not, whether these players actually presented a huge risk by being in the country or playing. Probably not. Maybe not. But there are rules. And Mm -hmm. those rules have to be abided by for the simple reason that they have to be abided by. You know, you're outside your own jurisdiction. And um, I just thought in Visa, maybe you're right. They had to see them before they could act. But um, as Tim said... It was very dramatic. He said, it is unclear why this time a deal could not be agreed with the Brazilian government who were so keen for the Copa America to go ahead in the summer at a time when the pandemic was far more severe than now. Everyone involved in the game seemed to count on such an outcome. Mm -hmm. So really, what football thought, what the the Brazilian FA were shocked too, the Argentinian uh, FA also, 
Andrew, they just thought we'll get this one under the fence. We'll just get it. We'll, we'll get it done. We'll get it played. That's it. Rules be damned. It was almost like football had this, you know, high notion of itself. And as Tim points out, uh, there was little or no added health risk from the players completing the game and then heading to the airport. But the Anvisa officials were upholding the rules and always relying on a last minute reprieve is a gamble that can go wrong. It might do football no harm to recognize that there are limits to its power and influence. They literally thought they could just plow through, bull in a china shop, forget the rules. That's mm-hmm. the story. Um, weird pictures watching it. I was watching it um, through a Portuguese feed. And, you know, Messi gone down the tunnel, had taken off his match day shirt with the rest of the players, was wandering around in a bib. Uh, one minute he's smiling and talking with um, Danny Alves. Then he walks back onto the field and gets into kind of what looked like very animated and heated conversations with the Argentinian coaching staff and this Anvisa official who had just shown up with a mask on. Hey, what? Like Mr. Belding on. um, Hey, 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 what is going on here? (laughs) Yeah. So that's very, very strange. Absolute farce. Yeah. And then one other one that I wanted to mention before we get out, also in the category of when real life and soccer collide. So when John Strong over the during the game, uh, I think he was talking about he used the term World Cup qualifying is weird. I think were the exact words that he used. And he kind of referenced a couple reasons as to why that is things that have happened. And one of the things that he kind of threw in there was a, a coup in Guinea in West Africa that forced the cancellation of a World Cup qualifier between Guinea and Morocco. Uh, And JJ, I don't know how much you've seen of this, how much you're aware of it, um, but it's it's put Liverpool um, and Naby Keita in um, kind of a precarious situation. I'm reading here from ESPN FC that Liverpool are attempting to get Guinea international Naby Keita back to Anfield, quote, in a timely and secure manner following a coup d'etat in the West African country, which resulted in the cancellation of Monday's World Cup qualifier against Morocco. Um, basically all flights out of the country are, are canceled right now and Liverpool are working to try to get their player back. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if other clubs are doing the same for their players, um, as well. Uh, we are in constant contact with Nab with Nabby and have, uh, had regular communication via his national team management. A Liverpool spokesperson told ESPN, we're satisfied that he is safe and well cared for. Obviously the situation is fluid. And we will maintain regular dialogue with the relevant authorities as we work to get Nabby back to Liverpool in a timely and secure manner. So um, that's scary. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly is. I, I, I hadn't read about that. I hadn't known about that. And um, well, coups usually happen with little notice. That, that is true. That is true. Uh, hopefully, if it's possible, this coup will be uh, somewhat peaceful or. Mm-hmm. I mean, it rarely stays that way. That, that, is, uh, that is some situation. One more thing before we do go. Sure. This story was sent to me. I cannot believe I didn't know about this player or this person, but it's, it's absolutely staggering. Uh, this is from the BBC. Jean-Pierre Adam, former France international, dies after 39 years in a coma. Yeah, I saw that. Mm. Former French footballer Jean-Pierre Adam, who had been in coma for 39 years, has died at the age of 73. Adam was admitted to hospital for knee surgery in March 1982, but never regained consciousness after an error with his supply of anesthetic. Born in Senegal, the defender made more than 140 appearances for Nice and also played for Paris Saint-Germain. In a statement, PSG said, Adam, joie de vivre, 
charisma and experience commanded respect. Nice, uh, the club said they will pay a tribute to Adam, who won 22 caps for France between 72 and 76 before their next home game against Monaco on the 19th of September. Adam, who also made 84 appearances for Nîmes, who said they were sending their most sincere condolences to his loved ones and the family. On the day of Adam's operation to repair a damaged tendon in his knee, suffered while on a coaching training camp, many staff at the hospital in Lyon were on strike. His operation still went ahead with the anesthetist looking for it uh, looking after eight patients, including Adam, at the same time. Adam was supervised by a trainee who later said, I was not up to the task I was entrusted with. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's, Between the that's terrible. Anest- anesthetist and trainee, numerous errors were made, causing Adam to suffer cardiac arrest and brain damage. It wasn't until the 1990s that the anesthetist and trainee were punished, a one-month suspended sex- sentence, and a 750 euro fine. Adam was discharged from hospital after 15 months and had been cared for at home in Nimes by his wife, Bernadette, ever since. <sighs> what a story. Yeah. That is just, it's unbelievable. Imagine he was born like two months before I was born and he's been in a coma ever since. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, Absolutely terrible. Yeah. Um, so our condolences to him and his family. Just yeah. Uh, so there you go. That, uh, That'll put a bow on this uh, today's edition. I was going to say this week's edition, but it is not because we'll have another one for you. Um, I, I guess Wednesday night slash Thursday morning. Uh, yeah, like you said, that's a ten oh five start time for Honduras uh, and the U.S. So um, that's it's going to be a big one. It's going to be a big one, as big as a, a third game, I guess, of a fourteen game schedule can be. So we will be all over that. Certainly, we'll have a reaction podcast out for you immediately following that. The sky is not falling, everyone. I know it feels that way right now. Like we talked about, your PTSD is kicking back in. Oh, those feelings, those pesky feelings from all those years ago in Trinidad. But it's not. Just breathe. We're all going to get through this. All right. Yeah. Let's let's for the moment, for the next few days before the game, let's do what uh, myself as an Irish person. I'm not saying all Irish people, but I as an Irish person too. And take those feelings and push them down, Mm, push them down deep, deep down, and then bury them in several layers of concrete uh, for years and years. Mm -hmm. That's the best way to deal with feelings. Correct. Only for them to explode in a horrifying bout of road rage years later. But it's fine now. (laughs) It's all that matters. Uh, All right. Good stuff, brother. We will reconvene a couple days from now. To you, I say, check you later in Honduras. I'll see you, man. Bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 